Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? I think I heard you say great. I hope you said great. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you think you might have a paranormal issue going on in your home or business, we can get to you or even on your property. The only issue is it may take us a while. California is a huge state, but uh, we can actually have one of our mediums. Uh, we have, we have five mediums on staff. We can have one of our mediums give you a call and talk to you about what's going on and maybe help settle it down before we get out there. Okay, or maybe it might not be paranormal and they can figure that out too. Save, and save you the trip of having us out there. But anyway, that's how we operate. So you can find me all over, find me and find the group all over Facebook. You can find us over at TikTok under California Haunts. You can find us at Twitter under Cal Haunts. Um, we're at California Haunts over, like I said, on Facebook, under my name. And I also have an Instagram, Ghosty Gal, all lowercase. Okay? So check that stuff out. Okay? And plus, we've got a YouTube page. We've got a great YouTube page. Our YouTube page is uh, youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. And if you go over there, there's more than 585 videos over there. All different topics. I'm a journalist. I'm a photojournalist. I like to change it up. I don't like to cover paranormal stuff all the time. So I like to change it up. And so if you look through there, you're going to find something that you like. Trust me. I mean, it goes from from stories about the circus all the way through, you know, stories of famous serial killers and everything you can think of. Take some searching, but I'm sure you'll find something you like. Okay. That being said, if you're watching today and you like what you see, please be sure to hit that like button or those hearts or those smiley faces or whatever it is you have over on Facebook. Because what that does is it puts us up in the algorithm, which means that it'll send it out to more people, okay? Same thing with YouTube. If you're watching from YouTube, hit, hit me up with those thumbs up or the smiley faces or anything like that because it does help out with the algorithm. Another thing with YouTube is if you haven't done so already, um, click on that little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner. You know that ghost that's down there with the uh, magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat? That'll bring up my subscribe button. Subscribe. All right, we're about 450 subscribers away from the thousand that we need at this point. Even though we're getting a lot of views between between YouTube, Facebook, and RSS, we are getting uh, more than 5,000 views a month. So it's built up a lot, a lot. So we're really excited about that. But yeah, help me out, become a subscriber. I'll notify you when our videos come up. Good stuff, good stuff. Same thing with Facebook. If you haven't done so already and you like what you see, please be sure to hit that follow button. Okay, I'm done talking about that. Today's show, tonight's show, uh, we have a paranormal investigator, Pamela Nance, with us. And we're going to be talking a few things. We're going to be talking NDEs. We're going to be talking missing time. I've had cases of both. Okay, I've seen, I've, I've seen, I've seen people come out of, come out, ugh, I don't want to work today. I've seen people come out of NDEs, and, and I've talked to people that have had NDEs, especially in my family. But I've also had what I call close to an NDE. And it's an interesting feeling when you think you're going to die because you think you're going to be panicking or you think you're going to hurt or this is this, is this, this is that, this is this, but it's not like that. But I, since it happened to me, it happened to my mother. 
And um, it was a really, really strange feeling. And we'll be talking about that tonight. Uh, plus, I had a, miss, um, a missing time thing happen to me about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago. And it happened to both a friend and I. So it's going to be interesting to talk about that. Plus, she's a paranormal investigator, so we can talk about that. So there's all kinds of things to talk about tonight. So I'm just going to shut up and bring her on. So here we go. Hello. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks for having me tonight. Oh, thank you so much. Now that I'm out of breath, it's your turn. Tell me about you. Oh, gee. Um, well, I've had a lifetime of experiences starting as a very young child around the age of five. Um, I was born into a family uh, with a maternal lineage of Native American um, Cherokee. And so my mom was very open to spirit and psychic phenomena. She had cognitive dreams and um, just psychic occurrences that had happened to her throughout my childhood. And so when these things started happening to me as a very young child, she, um, she never shut me down. She listened to me and she encouraged me to um, keep my mind open. Uh, but she also warned me that not everyone thought the way that we did and that I might just want to keep things within the family and not sh share it too broadly. Um, so starting as a, as a five-year-old, I was just a few weeks shy of my sixth birthday. I came down with a really severe case of red measles. And um, some people refer to those as uh, the 10-day measles. But at any rate, I was extremely ill and my parents had brought me to their bedroom so they could keep an eye on me. And their bedroom was right off the kitchen. So I remember seeing them sitting at the kitchen table and I was in there lying in their bed, um, just feeling just really, really bad. And the ceiling of their bedroom opened up and I could see the sky and clouds and then I found myself in what seemed to be an area like almost biblical in a sense and how it looked. Um, excuse me, I've got some pollen or something in my throat. Oh, that's okay. There's a lot of that going around. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it almost looked biblical like, um, you know, the buildings that you would imagine um, in Jerusalem, they were... Um, stucco looking and <clears throat> there were people milling about that uh, were dressed in what appeared to be like a muslin type clothing handmade clothing they had sandals on and i found myself holding the hand of, a, of an adult and when i would turn to look at this adult i could tell that it was a male the face was obscured by just this bright, bright light, almost as though I was looking into the sun. I could see the man's body and he was dressed like other people um, that I was seeing in the area, but I could not see his face. It was just this bright, bright light. And he was holding my hand very tightly and we walked a little further and 
this young girl came up to me and she acted as though she knew me and she hugged me and she, but she did not, she looked um, as though she had lost most of her hair. It was very sparse mm -hmm. and I could see her scalp and, but she didn't look ill, but I could tell that maybe something was wrong with her because the, of the way her hair looked, she almost looked bald. And um, so I, I journeyed so, sort of through this village with her and this man and came upon like sheep and people doing chores, uh, feeding the animals. Um, and it was just this, this wonderful warm place to be. And then I was awakening back in my parents' bed mm -hmm. and I looked over and they were still chatting at the table like they were what seemed to be, you know, a few minutes earlier. And I thought I'd just had like this really pleasant dream. And um, so as I recovered from this um, severe illness, there was really not a lot that could be done for the measles. It's just basically support the system, you know, with fluids and keeping the fever down. So the recovery took a couple of weeks. And, and part of my recovery was I would go, my mom would take me outside. It was like an Indian summer. I, I was raised in the rural um, area of North Carolina. And so we had a really nice, warm Indian summer towards mid to end of October. And she would put me in a chair facing west. So I had this warm sun coming on me and wrap me in a blanket. And off in the distance, there was a nearby mountain, Pilot Mountain, and quite significant on the terrain, um, something that you couldn't miss if you looked to the west. And so I would just sit and stare at that mountain. And then I found over the course of just a day or two, I could leave my body and fly. I don't know if you've had um, those dreams where you fly, you've, you've had flying dreams and you're over the terrain, you know, flying along the terrain of the land and uh, they're great, great dreams. And it, it was similar to that, but it was very real. I felt as though I was a bird flying along the terrain and I would end up flying around the top of this pilot mountain. And um, there are these rare ravens that nest up there and I could see the ravens nesting and and then I would fly around and just enjoy the sort of floating on the breeze and come back and enter my body again. And so I could do that uh, pretty much at will for about until I was about nine years of age. But I, I had to be focused on on Pilot Mountain. Mm -hmm. um, but that has a lot of significance for that area as far as sacred geometry. Um, but then what I encountered about a year later, um, at that point, I guess I was close to seven and my brother had married um, a minister's wife and they invited me to attend their church as a visitor one Sunday. So I went um, into the little beginner Sunday school class and the chairs were in a circle and I sat down um, in an empty chair and there was an empty chair next to me and I felt another child 
come up beside me and sit down and I looked over and it was the same little girl that I had seen in that experience in that biblical sort of looking village. Um, she had very sparse hair. It was the same child. And we immediately made eye contact as though we knew each other. And I took her by the hand and we became fast friends. I remember walking around with her that Sunday morning after Sunday school class and going in for the sermon and thinking about her the rest of the day. And I wanted to go back to that church so badly to visit so I could find my friend. And her name was Emily. Um, so I, about a month later, I um, went back to church and I was looking for Emily and I learned that she had passed away. She had leukemia. And so, you know, thinking about that as an adult, I encountered her on the other side mm -hmm. while she was still living. But in that experience, she had already crossed over. So I'm really not sure how to explain that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you look at Einstein's theories of relativity, all time exists at the same time. So perhaps I was just, you know, tapping into this other um, timeline of existence that, you know, was on the other side in this sort of near death experience that I had, she had already crossed over and was already over there. Um, but it was the same child. Um, so from then on things, you know, at starting at the age of five, I knew I wasn't normal. Um, I could heal animals and plants as a very young child. Um, and, you know, just had a lot of paranormal activity in, in the house that I lived in and um, sort of some extraterrestrial encounters. And that's the way it's been my entire life. <laughs> you know, I've heard that. I've, I have one person on my staff who um, nearly died, had an NDE and came back with, with real strong psychic abilities. And I've heard that I've heard that before, and I just wonder why certain people that happens to certain people, and, and then it doesn't happen to others. Um, I have, I think I have some theories. Um, you know, I've thought about this for decades, and I, I started exploring um, consciousness in the '80s during the the metaphysical movement, um, and because of the experiences I had had in the '60s and '70s, and and then this whole avenue opened up with uh, people kind of thinking outside the box. And, and so I began looking and doing research into Edgar Cayce and past lives. And, and so in thinking about past lives, we can't all have been on this planet for the same amount of time. Right. And I've been regressed, you know, hundreds of times I've relived many, many past lives. So I know I've had lots of lives previous to this life. And perhaps that has something to do with it as you incarnate with each um, lifetime, you gain more knowledge and, and you become more of a seeker. You know, I hope that within each lifetime, when I leave and I come back, I retain 
some of what I've learned in previous lives. And maybe that's part of the answer um, and why some people tend to, to experience things at a higher vibrational frequency than say people who haven't had as many experiences um, on the planet and in learning, because it is all about learning um, each life and, and, you know, tr hopefully being a better um, spirit or soul when you return each time. And so I think some of that comes into play. And then I think heredity has something to do with it. The fact that I can trace my lineage through Native American and even into Spanish Basque, which is a very old, ancient population. Yeah. And my maternal haplogroup um, goes far, far back into um, like Otzi, the, um, this um, mummy that was found that was 5,000 years old in the Italian Alps about 20 or 30 years ago. And, and he had uh, tattoos on his body that indicated he was a healer because it, they marked the meridian points that are used in acupuncture. And this mummy was 5,000 years old. So given what he was carrying on his body, which was still intact because he had been frozen, mm -hmm. it was sort of surmised that perhaps he was a shaman and a healer. And so my direct maternal haplogroup traces to Otzi. So I think there's a long lineage there and, um, and just being a seeker and asking questions and seeking a higher consciousness my entire life, it changes your vibrational frequency because we are all energy beings that vibrate at an atomic level. And if you don't think about these things, if you're just sort of in your narrow little world, um, you're not going to, you know, expand that much out into consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that's okay because we all learn at our own pace in our own given time. Um, so I think there are multiple reasons that some people um, come back maybe with a higher ability um, and, you know, experiencing phenomena. Do you think maybe that certain people are being chosen for this too, like you say? Because, you know, there's certain attributes that people have. It's kind of, it's kind of like getting abducted by aliens in a way because they're abducting people that are good for, that have good genes, you know, so so, so they can do their, their, their little program. So maybe that's what this is, 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 is when the, these NDEs occur and the higher powers get a chance to see, you know, what, what, what your mind is like, what you're made of. It's just certain individuals that, that get chosen to do this stuff. Um, I think that could absolutely come into play, you know, depending on who your guides are and what they're helping you choose. But, you know, we also have to keep in mind that we create our own reality by the choices that we make. Mm -hmm. And if we choose to expand our consciousness, um, then we're going to experience things that we wouldn't, you know, otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, being a paranormal investigator, if you never thought about doing that type of work, 
you know, these things would, would never even enter into your realm of possibilities, but you've expanded, you've made that choice and things then do start to happen. Um, so there is some choice, but I think we play a big role in that choice um, and in being chosen. You know, I was just thinking when you were saying that too, is as, as a paranormal investigator, we brought a shaman on board. And no sooner did we bring the shaman on board than our cases got darker. And so for the longest time, case after case after case was either some dark entity or I'm not saying demons because, you know, they're, they're rare and far between. But, I mean, it was always some dark entity for the longest time. And then when she left the team, it all settled down again. So I agree with you what you just said, 100%. Yeah, you wonder what side of the veil she was working on as far yeah. as being a shaman because most are very positive and want to bring right. in the light and not the right. dark. Right. Um, and you do get what you seek. I mean, if your intention is to go out and you seek these really um, negative haunted locations for the fear factor, then you're going to get what you ask for. Um, and sometimes you can go there in a very innocent manner and the power may be so strong that it happens anyway. Right. Um, and that's happened to me a couple of times just because the locations were so extremely negative in the history even though I went in with really good intentions, you know, even my consciousness was overpowered um, and I had to really, you know, fight my way through it. Um, so, yeah, there's a fine line there um, and what you what you ask for and what your ability is and what you end up encountering. Absolutely. Now, one thing I found I mentioned at the beginning of the, of the show is that I, I had one, I'm not going to say NDE, I'm going to call it a close death, I think they should do a new thing too, close death experience. And I was going to, I thought I was going over a cliff, but I got stopped. But before I went over, and like I said, you'd think you'd feel terrified to die. You think that's your last feeling is, oh my God, I'm going to die. Because you see it in the movies, people are screaming all the way down. When I thought I was going to go over, I had braced myself, you know, in the car. And my, my first thought was, well, it's going to be a great view. And I was really, really calm. <laughs> and the funny thing is, a few years before that, because we, we used to do, go boating on the river here, my mother jumped out of the boat to, because the, the motor had conked out and she was going to push the boat to the shore, not realizing that there was an undertow in there and that she was in like 40 feet of water. And she got sucked under the boat came back up once, got sucked under again. She said the same thing, that when she got sucked under the second time and couldn't breathe, it was like, oh, well. Sort of a calmness. Yeah, comes it was a really, really calm feeling. You know, you, you, you expect there to be fear and there's not fear. So whatever that calm feeling is, just like when you were a little kid, you know, and you, and you had, the, had the measles, you know, the, the, there was no fear there. Right. You just, went, no. you just went to the other side and came back. Right. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you think about um, incarnations and, you know, we've died mm -hmm. thousands, if not tens of thousands of times, maybe at that point of, of crossing over, it's that familiar feeling again that you're actually going where you belong. Because when we live these physical lives, it's just a blip 
and mm -hmm. and the whole you know timeline of possibilities it's just such a fraction of time and the time that we spend on the other side um and this higher level of consciousness is really truly where we belong and what and that's where we should strive to to remain um and you know we certainly won't remain over there without reincarnating time and time again until we're ready to stay mm -hmm. um but it could be that you know we're, we're getting into that familiar feeling again and going right. to where it, it feels like home right now as far as the little girl goes that you saw do you think that she might have been part of a past life i never have that had had that feeling i just think that um it was another way of of this higher consciousness showing me the possibilities um, that exist outside of this physical um, existence. Even at that young age, it was something that made me aware that what we see all around us and what we're told is not reality. Right. Um, and, you know, I felt prepared for that as a very young child. Um, I encountered a lot of um, paranormal, you know, paranormal is not just ghostly. Paranormal, by definition, is beyond normal. Sure. So a lot of paranormal um, occurrences as far back as I can remember, and I've always been able to handle it. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think that you're given, given things that you're not supposed to be able to handle and learn from. You know, that's something um, Sylvia Brown wrote about that. In fact, in one of her books where she said that she felt because the experience, you know, the experiences that she had when her powers were getting stronger and stronger and stronger, that she wasn't getting anything that she couldn't handle. Right. Well, that was, it was headed to her to whatever she could cope with at that time. That's why different psychics see different things. Yeah. Because they're, because they're not supposed to get overwhelmed. That's it's really a cool theory. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I have uh, really um, what could have been a very terrifying experience as a 10 year old. I had a couple of beings appear to me in my bedroom. I was ready for bed, getting ready to fall asleep one evening. My mom worked second shift at a nursing home and my um, dad had gone to pick her up. And so it was um, towards the end of the school year and my older sister was in the kitchen. She was kind of in charge when daddy went to pick mom up. And I remember lying in bed and I felt a presence by my bed and there, there were two beings standing there, a man and a woman dressed in tight black fitting outfits, um, very good looking people. They weren't scary. The man was really handsome, had shoulder length brown hair, um, a right to his collar because they had turtlenecks on. And the woman had um, shoulder length hair with bangs and they were just very good looking people. And I remember just looking at them and the man held up this huge timepiece, like almost like a giant pocket watch or stopwatch and held it in front of me. And he said, when the clock go goes from 12 to 12 all the way around, we're going to take you. 
um, to rebalance your karma for beheading a sacred white elephant in a past life. And this is what they downloaded to me. And I'm 10 years old. I'm in a Southern Baptist community. I knew nothing about the Hindu religion or sacred white elephants. Um, But I felt myself being floated out of the room. Um, And then I was like in a brightly lit room lying on my back. And the two individuals were above me at my head. And I couldn't, I could not move. I, I tried to look back. I could like kind of roll my eyes back and see that they were behind me, but I could not tell what they were doing. And then my next recall, I was back in my bed and I was like flipped out, uh, a little bit flipped out because I wasn't sure what had just happened. And at that point, my mom and dad came through the front door and my mom came in to check on, on me. And I started crying, telling her what had just happened to me. And she said, well, you just had a bad dream. And I knew that it was not a dream. No way. I was fully awake. These were real people standing by my bed. And I certainly didn't imagine them, you know, holding this timepiece and telling me about a sacred white elephant. But what was strange the next day, I woke up and I had a rash like this or just this redness from the neck up, like on my head. Um, And I was out of school for a couple of weeks. My parents took me to the doctor. They couldn't explain what had happened, if it was, you know, some allergic reaction to something. But I didn't go back to school because I, I was just like bright red for two weeks. And what I've learned as an adult is that sometimes when you have these encounters, particularly on board a craft, Mm -hmm. you can be exposed to radiation or some other whatever that can cause this redness. There have been other uh, reports of similar things happening to people. So I don't know if they were ETs or, at that time, I didn't quite know. I, I think I've figured it out since then. But uh, um, but like I said, I certainly didn't know anything about the Hindu religion as a 10-year-old child. Uh, right. Um, right. So that was another, you know, what potentially could have been a very terrifying experience. But then I put it in the context of everything that had happened to me and, you know, pretty much got over being afraid um after that you know evening um and then you know my family and i saw a silver craft outside of our home um not too many weeks following that event um it was a summer evening on my front porch with my mom and dad and three of my siblings and my baby brother saw it first he was like look and we all looked across the road and above this um, sort of forest of southern pines was a silver disc, you know, your typical UFO disc shaped object sitting there just hovering above these pine trees. My parents saw it. I saw it, my two siblings. And then it just zipped off in the blink of an eye. 
towards Pilot Mountain, um, straight west. Um, and I had also, I recall encounters of being out in my yard at night as a child and seeing bright lights and craft in the sky. And so just a lot of uh, UFO activity on that property. But what I've discovered is through um, studying sacred geometry, and also um, I've had a real interest in ley lines um, since the 80s. Um, there, you know, that comprises of sort of a grid system that envelops our planet, this magnetic energy, um, where a lot of the ancient sites like Stonehenge and the Great Pyramids and Teotihuacan, they all are situated along these ley lines and these energetic grid patterns. Um, so what's really interesting about Pilot Mountain is that two very prominent ley lines intersect directly over the top of Pilot Mountain. Wow. The Arcadian ley that comes from like down in Mexico, well, South America up through Mexico City, across Pilot Mountain, over to Stonehenge, and the serpent lay that's south of Denali and north of Mount Shasta, mm -hmm. comes down across Serpent Mound in Ohio, directly over Pilot Mountain, and out to the Bermuda Triangle. So over Pilot Mountain is the intersection section of these two very significant ley lines and within sacred geometry, it's a vortex generating wheel of energy called the pilot wheel. And the Native Americans of a thousand years ago recognized its power. They held sacred ceremonies there. Um, I have my master's in archaeology and anthropology, and my thesis focused on the Mississippian period and um, the woodland in Indians in particular, and an offshoot of the woodland are the Sara Indians. Mm -hmm. And uh, they named Pilot Mountain Jomioki, which means the great guide. And they held lots of sacred ceremonies there. So they understood the sacred significance of that mountain. Mm -hmm. And so the home where I grew up, which is also an 1850s log cabin, um, was about 20 miles east of Pilot Mountain. And under that cabin ran the, um, the Feathered Serpent. It's a huge underground artesian river that's also recognized within sacred geometry. And so that produces a lot of kinetic energy. And so with those ley lines and the Feathered Serpent, that's a highly active area there's actually a portal in the backyard of that property i've seen craft come out of one area of the backyard and disappear into another area in about a 50 foot swath mm -hmm. uh, so i know there's a portal there i've captured photographs of the portal opening uh video so it's just um so all that lends to, you know, my experiences right, and right. what shaped me um, going forward.
Well, here's a question, and I've been thinking about this for a long time after reading uh, the Mojave incident. You know, some of the stuff that happens to people that have abductions and the after effects of the abductions, a lot of it sounds close to what uh, people are experiencing when they say they have ghosts in their house. Yeah, um, I think there's a fine line there that, um, you know, are you are you experiencing something like a spirit or an energy within the astral plane or are you experiencing an interdimensional energy that's coming through? I think it can be both. I've had, you know, I've had both occur at my home place and the house where I live now, mm-hmm. um, which also has this huge body of water running underneath. I, I um, have dowsing rods. I'm a, I'm a trained dowser. And so I've, I've doused the property. I've found the underground water here. Um, so I have paranormal activity in this house all the time, which I think is energy coming from within the astral plane. Sure. But I've also had interdimensional activity um, and UFO craft over this house. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, it, it's sometimes hard to determine what you're dealing with. Um, you have to be open to both. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, I think it's, you know, what is your intention? What, what do you want to encounter and how do you interpret it? Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, after, like I said, after reading that, it got me to thinking because the rooms will get cold, you know, they'll see the beings come through the walls you know, there's lifting off the bed and the EVPs. When you think about your EVPs that you're getting out, out in the field during these investigations, not all of them sound human. You know, they, just, they sound mechanical. They sound, they just have a weird tone to them. And it seems like they're so far off in the distance that it makes sense that it could be an ET, you know, coming through dimensionally. Charlotte, that is, that's very interesting because that was one of the first things that I started noticing I, when I sort of became a, professional paranormal investigator. Um, I formed a team in 2008. And really the purpose of that team was to um, communicate with spirit within the astral plane. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't that interested in being scared or anything like that. I wanted to learn from these populations, you know, how are these perceived ghost coming through? How can they communicate to us? And why do we need all of this equipment to communicate with them, yet they can just come through and speak and and make themselves appear? And um, so I was very interested in, in how this was occurring. And so I started, you know, looking um, and investigating historic sites just because of the rich history and the family lineage and and the information that I could find through uh, deed searches and genealogy. And, and what I found was these populations of, of people really loved it when I would go into a site knowing everything I could possibly know about them and their family members and the property um, and they were so willing to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that, that type of investigation went on for about two or three years. Uh, 
and I picked up incredible information that validated um, known history on these sites and also uncovered history that was not previously known, but then I could research and validate on the back end um, at libraries and through deed searches. And, and so I was able to provide information to the property owners and property management about questions they had had, you know, about hauntings and, and even locations on the property that they weren't sure what they were used for. Right. Uh, the spirits told me these things. But then what I started picking up on as I um, got further into investigating, when I would ask, uh, you know, who are you? I would get responses like, um, not human uh, or other. Um, and I would say, you know, how are you coming through? Where are you from? Portal, wormhole. And so I was like, okay, I'm not dealing with um, astral energy any longer. This is interdimensional. These voices, like you say, sounded different. Mm -hmm. They sounded mechanical or uh, robotic almost. Yep. yep. And, and what was also interesting, I would, you know, I listened to so many thousands of hours of EVP recording. Uh -huh. You know what you start to hear and how things sound different. Right. And you can go back and you can slow it down and pull it out. And, and that takes a lot of time and training, as you know, to be able to recognize these sounds that, that shouldn't be there. And what I started picking up on were sounds that sounded like Velcro, like someone, you know, opening something fastened with Velcro. And I kept thinking, I don't have anything with Velcro. And I'm all, I was always so careful not to make a lot of noise because when you go back and you listen to these EVP recordings, that's the last thing you want is a lot of outside noise that you have to like, you know, dig your way through. So I started slowing those down. And what I found was within these Velcro sounds were voices coming through. And so then I started thinking, okay, well, if these are interdimensional EVPs, maybe to push their way into this heavy gravity laden environment that we find ourselves in, they have to come through at a really high speed. They have sure. to push their way through. And that would maybe explain why they sound different, mechanical, robotic, or even like Velcro that you have to slow way down to be able to hear the content. They're pushing through at such a high frequency um, that it sounds different than just regular EVP. Right, right. Makes a lot of sense. Absolutely makes a lot of sense to me. And like I said, I've been wondering, you know, ever since, like I said, ever since I read that book, it, it totally changed my mind about what, what, you know, what we do as paranormal investigators. Yeah. And then a lot of the reports, you know, that you get from people that have been abducted, how these uh, aliens will put holograms over their faces so they look human. Who yeah. knows? 
you know, that's who knows? Keep, I, I guess maybe, you know, they realize that there's a level of fear associated with their encounter and they want to protect the individual um, and, you know, project themselves in a way like the Jodie Foster movie uh, right, where right, right. her father, you know, it looked like her father, uh, but it was actually an alien. Um, well, you know what's it. funny too, when you talk about EVPs, people don't realize, like you say, it takes a lot of skill to process EVPs. Uh-huh. You know, I have every record of, of the voices of my investigators in a normal voice. I have them in a whisper voice so I can compare and contrast. The other thing that's funny that people don't realize is if there's a, if there's a washing machine on in the distance in the background, it could sound like a voice. So you have to be able to tell, okay, is that, is that the washer or what is that? So people don't realize how difficult it is. Oh, it's extremely difficult. And that's why you don't want anybody talking or whispering or chewing gum or, you know, making any kind of noise. And even like a furnace or an air conditioning unit can uh, corrupt your audio. Um, But one thing I wanted to ask you about, when I started noticing after you know just reviewing hundreds of hours of audio early on i would get a response and it would start to like resonate with me that this sounds like an answer i should have gotten to a question that i haven't asked yet right and then further into the audio i would ask the question not get a response and then back the tape up and realize they answered the question before I ever asked it. Have Absolutely. you had that happen? Absolutely. Dowsing rod, same thing. You know, where because you're you're a dowser too, where you're where you haven't even got to the question yet. Then, then when, before you've even asked the question, you're just when it's right at the tip of your tongue, boom. The rods move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so what does that tell you about time and how we perceive time? You know, we- I just, yeah, I agree. I, I just think our time, the way we perceive time is a hell of a lot different than how they perceive time. Because I think for them, it's, it's, it, it's, it, they're so far ahead of us. Yeah. It's like, um, that, that was the craziest thing when I had that revelation that, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're answering my questions before I even asked them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another, um, thing that kind of blew my mind um, early on was that these same entities that would follow me from place to place and I would start to, you know, recognize their voices and um, and learned who they were. You know, they they told me their name and mm-hmm. um, so that, you know, they would follow me from, you know, locations 500 miles apart. Um, I had a woman, Elizabeth, that just loved to follow me to all my investigations and, and she would pipe in, you know, and I recognized her voice and, and I started to ask, you know, who are you? And it would always be Elizabeth. Uh Um, and I do think I maybe was tied to her in a past life and some research that I've done, but that was another really interesting, um, you know, component of doing the paranormal. Well, that's happened to me. I mean, uh, the Wilden Opera House, there's this one particular um, Hungarian opera singer, Polish opera singer, that was real active there. And she's active at other, you know, theaters as well. And so I go to a different theater, (laughs) and one of the psychics walks over and says, she's asking for you. And I said, who's asking for me? She says, you know, Madame Mucheska, this this lady. And I'm like, well, how does she know I'm even here? 
Uh, they know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. It's, it's pretty um, <laughs> limitless, really, the possibilities. And, and that's why you have to keep a really open mind when you do paranormal investigating that you can't jump to conclusions about what you think is actually going on because it can right. be something totally different. Absolutely. Let's talk a little about uh, missing time. Okay. Um, yeah, that was an interesting, <laughs> probably one of the most uh, interesting occurrences in my life. I um, had, um, like I said, started encountering the interdimensional coming through and the paranormal investigating. So that put me on a path of, you know, studying quantum theory and learning as much as I could about that and incorporating that into my paranormal investigations. And I was also presenting at a lot of conferences at the time and putting together PowerPoints. And so I started putting together these PowerPoints that combine the paranormal with quantum physics. Uh -huh. So I showed like the scientific possibilities surrounding um, these encounters that it's not just, you know, ghosts trying to scare people, you know, there's actually some science behind it. And I had been invited to present at Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia. That's a huge uh, uh, comic con kind of conference that's held every year around August. Um, sort of the, the twin to Comic Con out in California. Uh -huh. um, so it's Dragon Con. And, and in this particular year, it was 2013, Stanton Friedman was presenting on uh, Roswell. Nice. And I met him prior to my presentation and invited him in. And so he sat in and afterwards he came, he, he approached me and he said, I, you know, I was really imp impressed with your scientific approach to the paranormal. I think you're on to something. And um, he said, I'd like to introduce you to a colleague of mine, Kathleen Martin. And Kathleen Martin is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill the couple that had that experience in the early 60s, the abduction experience up in um, Connecticut mm -hmm. or New Hampshire, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And so he introduced me to Kathleen and we communicated for a couple of years. And in 2015, I actually met her in person. I traveled to uh, Denise Stoner's home, who is also an experiencer. And she and Kathleen are in MUFON together. Um, but Denise had been having some paranormal activity in her home and wanted me to conduct an investigation there. And Kathleen was interested in the, the sort of the ET component component. Uh -huh. And so I conducted a paranormal investigation, got a lot of really good evidence for Denise and, um, explained to them both my approach and, uh, that I, I knew at that point I was not just connecting with the astral plane mm -hmm. consciousness, but interdimensional. And Kathleen, so it would be really neat for you to do a paranormal investigation at a site where there's been a UFO abduction um, and experience. And so she introduced me to Chris Bledsoe who um, is in the eastern part of North Carolina. He and his son had an experience at the Cape Fear River in 2007. And um, 
And then they had had multiple experiences on their property, particularly around this one tree, uh, this huge catalpa tree in the backyard of their home. So um, I traveled to that location to conduct a paranormal, a paranormal investigation, but with a focus on connecting with interdimensional um, consciousness. And so I went out around 10 o'clock uh, that evening and positioned myself near that tree where a lot of activity had occurred. And um, I had a, a video camera with night vision that was set up about 15 feet behind the tree. I wanted it focused on the tree since that was an area of activity. Mm -hmm. And so I positioned myself under the tree, started the investigation as I normally would, asking, you know, who are you? Where are you? Your normal um, investigative questions. And immediately started hearing EVP come through saying, I'm at the moon. I'm above you. I'm back. I'm to the left of the moon. And myself and my investigative partner and the property owner, uh, we, it was just the three of us out there. We had already noticed this really bright light to the left of the moon. And we had talked about, you know, is that a star? It, it's too bright to be a star. And then these EVPs are coming through saying we're to the left of the moon. And so we, continued asking questions, had a lot of really good EVP coming through, telling us where they were, that they were circling. Um, and we went on probably for, um, you know, what seemed to be some time um, doing our normal investigative routine. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing I recall, I'm standing in that same spot my partner's next to me, the property owner is next to her, and I felt really sick and nauseous, and I was kind of swaying, and then I realized I wasn't holding my equipment. So I had been holding my spirit box, my digital recorder, also had my 35 millimeter camera, you know, juggling all this equipment, and now I have nothing in my hands, and neither does my partner and she had similar equipment. Um, and I mentioned I'd felt sick and they both said they didn't feel well. And then I was like, well, where's our equipment? And I turned around and the equipment was on the ground behind me under that tree and it was turned off. So as you know, you don't turn your equipment off during an investigation. No. That's Absolutely. your primary means of communicating. Right. We had never done that. That's counterintuitive. But we just kind of like we're in a daze and we gathered our equipment. And when we got to the video camera, we realized it was still running, still recording. Mm -hmm. And my partner turned the camera off. We returned to the property owner's home. His wife came running out of the bedroom. She was already dressed um, in her night clothes saying, where have you been? And we were like, we were outside under the tree. And she said, no, you weren't. She said, I've been looking for you. It's one o'clock in the morning. Wow. So we'd gone out at 10, felt like we'd been out there not that long, you know, maybe an hour. And she's saying it's one o'clock in the morning. 
Well, that just blew my mind because I had a three and a half hour drive back home. We right. weren't staying the night. We were driving back. And all I could think about is I've got to, you know, wake up and feel better and drive home. So we just started drinking coffee and gathering our equipment, hopped in the car, left the property, got back on sort of this main road that would lead us to the interstate mm -hmm. and saw this huge bright light above the treetops just shooting from like south to north. Um, and we both, my partner and I, we were still just in a daze and I said, was that a shooting star? And, and we just thought, you know, shooting star, but it was way too close to the treetops and, and too bright to have been a shooting star. Um, and so we got home and she had to drive back to Georgia and it was five o'clock in the morning. So we, I grabbed some sleep, maybe slept for three hours. She got up, hit the road and I started reviewing my evidence. So I was listening to my audio and then at the end of the audio, I hear my partner say, so you want us to turn off the equipment? like someone's telling us to turn off the equipment. And she said, I think, I think we should turn off the equipment. And I said, yeah, I think we should. And, and that's when we shut the equipment off. And so my recording ended in barely over an hour. So we go out at 10. I think I had an hour and 15 minutes of audio recorded until we shut the equipment off that would have taken us to 11 15 right yet we didn't go inside until one in the morning so we had an hour and 45 minutes of missing time so i call her on her cell phone i say look as soon as you get home review your evidence something very strange happened and that over the next few days we realized hey we had some missing time. We had audio from the video camera that had continued to record during that hour and 45 minutes that probably 50 EVPs of men, it sounds like male voices saying, we're on them, we see them, they're human we're abducting we've got them get them um and then someone said they're breathers like you know we're because we're, we're breathing oxygen someone said they're breathers and someone else says get them anyway we want them get them up to the ship oh wow um, and then we also captured um a short piece of video at the very beginning of the evening of these two beings that were already on the property. When we first went out at 10 o'clock and set up that video camera, two of the beings were already there. One was sitting up in the tree, that Catalpa tree, mm -hmm. who appears to be about six feet tall, dressed in a black bodysuit, and then a smaller light being um, that was captured within the first uh, nine minutes of being on the property. And that audio at the very beginning 
there's an overlap in time. It appears that, and I, this is so difficult to explain, but there's audio from that video camera that you can hear us walking away from the video camera, turning on our spirit boxes and going under the catalpa tree. But then you can also hear us saying, I say something about, um, now my partner says, we're back. And I say, the craft has landed. And then this robotic voice, like we were talking about, electronic voice says, step out. Partner says, oh crap, we're back. I don't want to be back. And then I say, are those the same people looking out the windows? You know, talking about the windows on these craft, on this mm-hmm. craft. But at the same time, you can hear us under the tree conducting the investigation. So somehow we've overlapped ourselves in time. That's I, I cannot explain that. That is incredible. But the I've got the evidence posted on my website, PamelaNance.com, under um, photo photos and audio. Um, you know, if folks want to go check it out. The the still shots from that video, short video, is posted there, and you can see these two beings this large being and this small light being. And then from some photos, there was another little creature in a tree, nearby tree that looks sort of like um, Excuse me. the, um, that um, being that the guy down in um, Mississippi, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. Mm-hmm. He's an older man. He had an encounter in the seventies. Uh, it looks very similar to what he described, but it's much smaller. Hmm. Um, so there was all kinds of little creatures around that night and an abduction. And I've been, I've had spontaneous recall about what occurred. Okay. And that's on my website under Adela. Absolutely. Um, and I think these are the same beings that I've encountered throughout my life. Absolutely. When you talk about the time, like we were talking about the time earlier in the interview, I interviewed a gentleman who um, was taken when he was lying in bed. I think he was like 12, I think he was 10 or 12 years old. And he claims that he went and he lived his whole life. He was trained by the aliens. So he lived his whole life on a couple of different planets. But then when, when he woke up, he was still 10 or 12. Yeah, I've heard those kinds of reports before. That's crazy, yeah. but I mean, it makes it makes a lot of sense because they have the capability to jump within dimensions and time where we don't. And right. So they're, they're, their attitude, which are just like people that cross over, you know, people don't realize that once your loved one crosses over, a year to them is a few minutes. Exactly. You know, so there's a big time difference there. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah, we don't perceive... I mean, time is man-made, you know, it's a preconceived conception that we have as human beings. Um, You know, there is no such thing as time. It's all consciousness. 
it's all consciousness. Um, and that's very difficult to wrap your head around. But if you think about all the different phenomena that occurs, this consciousness is the only way to explain it, that we, you know, consciousness is outside of this flesh and blood body. Mm -hmm. uh, we perceive consciousness through our brain, but it doesn't localize from our brain. It only comes through, through us. Um, and that's how we experience it as human beings uh, within, you know, our five senses, but it all exists outside of our body. You know, it transcends us and, and there are multi levels of consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what we experience as paranormal investigators, as abductees, uh, as transcendentalists, if you start meditating and you go into these higher realms, um, or with near death experiences, you know, I've, I had another at 33, um, where I spent quite a bit of time on the other side. And I, I write about that in a book called Ascension that, um, I co-authored with William Henry, mm -hmm. who is on ancient aliens. Um, so that, um, yeah, there we go. Yeah. So my near death experience, um, that I had at 33 is in, in that book. Um, mm -hmm. and I was changed, um, at a real deeper, you know, deep level after that experience, as far as my healing abilities and, and psychic abilities. Cool. When you say you spend a lot of time on the other side, what do you mean exactly? Um, well, I just, you know, felt like I was there for quite some time, even though when I returned, you know, my husband had been doing CPR on me. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I guess in, in earth time, I'd only been gone, you know, a short period of time, but I had a long experience over there. Um, but it was with animals. There were no humans. Um, so I won't give away too much of the story. Absolutely no, don't give away. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely not. But I was changed physiologically after that. I, I had the ability to see human aura before that experience, but after that experience, I could see it coming from everything: plants, animals, rocks. You know, it didn't matter. Um, I saw things just so differently. Um, for about a year and then it started to wane a little bit. But it, when I returned from the hospital, it took my husband forever to get me in the house and to bed because I just kept like grabbing plants in the front yard and saying, can't you see the energy coming from these plants? I could just see them vibrate. And, and for the longest time after that experience, I couldn't grocery shop. If I, if I was in the grocery store and I tried to get cans off the shelf, I would be shocked. I mean, you could almost see a blue arc coming from these cans. Um, I was being shocked. I had such an electrical, you know, component coming from my body. Lights would blow when I turned lamps on or if I went for a walk in the evening and walked under street lights, they would go out and, you know, I was just like charged. <laughs> it was crazy. I've had the street light thing happen to me. 
quite frequently, you know, when I'm out walking. And I've also had friends that could walk into a Walmart and knock the power out of, a, you know, completely out of a Walmart. But my mother, as I was growing up, because my grandmother was a, was a healer from Mexico. And so it runs down, you know, how it runs through families. Right. And my mother was always afraid of it, real scaredy cat. Tell she, you know, it's funny because when she became elderly, she was okay with it. Once I started ghost hunting, you know, she, she was cool with it. But when I was growing up, it was like, oh, no, don't mess with that stuff. Don't, don't do that, you know. But I remember my mother could, could, could send out sparks from her fingers when she would touch certain stuff, just like you're talking about. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. I love that maternal connection that you have, you know, yeah. the same that I have. And, and I do think there's something to be said for that, that, you know, genetically, you know, maybe we're encoded at yeah. birth. Um, and that's what you're experiencing when you go under these streetlights. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you ever pursued any type of healing, um, like classes, like Reiki or healing type? I actually things? teach um, beginning psychic development. Okay. That's because cool. I have, I do have, I, I do have abilities. I do get the uh, spider webs. I can tell if it's a male or female. You know what I mean? Because oh. the heavier energy and all that. And I do have, I do have vision sometimes. So yeah, it's, it's there. Yeah. And, and this, you know, that's, there's no denying those things and it's no. really hard to, to get, to communicate that to someone who's never had those experiences. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, but once you have them, then, you know, it's that deep knowing that we're so much more than what we've been led to believe we are. Uh -huh. Um, and if we could just all tap into that, you know, I think our planet would be a much better place. Um, we would treat each other so much better because we're all connected. Right. We really are. Um, you know, we just need to get rid of those barriers and, and sure. see that connection. Well, you and I have a lot in common because growing up, my abilities were, were there, you know. And I would see things in my house all the time. So, I mean, you know, that's, I think that's where it got, my mother was just like, don't mess with that, you know, because I, I would tell her, mom, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing that. Like your mother, oh no, you're having a nightmare. No, <laughs> I'm seeing right. weird things, you know. So you and I have a lot in common that way. Pam, I want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It was fun. My that pleasure. hour went by really fast. Wow. Yeah, it did fly by. I think we could talk for hours. Oh, yeah, we'll have to get you back on. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Yeah, I'd love to talk about some other things and hear more about your experiences and, and what you're into. Uh, so uh, and maybe we can investigate together one day. Maybe we can do that. What's next for you? Um, next, I'm starting an online course um, in bilocation mm -hmm. using binaural beats. Um, there's a PhD that has developed a technique. And so I'm hoping to learn how to transcend um, and further meet my spirit guides and go to the other side, much like a near death experience. So sure. that, and um, I've submitted another um, book chapter that uh, I hope will be included in a series called God Talk. Mm -hmm. And I'm also presenting in Washington, DC in September at the National um, Association of Near-Death Studies. Um, it's INADS, uh, International Association of Near-Death Studies. Um, 
and Evan Alexander, who wrote Proof of Heaven, mm -hmm. uh, is a keynote speaker there. So I'm presenting uh, about my near-death experience. Cool, cool, cool. All right, and how can people find you again? Um, PamelaNance.com. And I do have at the bottom of my home page uh, a little uh, place you can click to email me if you're interested in chatting or sharing. You know, I'm always open to hearing from other folks and welcome any comments. And um, so, and again, I, you know, I'm happy to come back anytime you want to have I'll me. Definitely, I'll definitely be getting in contact with you to bring you back. Sounds great, Charlotte. All right. Well, you. you have a great rest of your day, okay? All right, thanks, and thanks to your audience. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay, that was Pamela Nance. Wow, she and I have so much in common, you know, in the way we grew up and the experiences we had. Um, anyway, tomorrow, well, since this is pre-recorded, I don't know who tomorrow's guest is. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank her again for coming on. We're definitely going to ask her to come back on. And do check out her website because I'm going to go over there. I, I, I was looking at her website, you know, about a week ago, and there is a lot of really, really good stuff on there. So I, I encourage you to go, go check out her website as well. So I'm going to close it out. And again, um, if you're watching from Facebook and you like what you saw, please be sure to hit that follow button. Same thing with YouTube. Hit that subscribe button and all that good stuff. And remember, you can follow us at YouTube.com forward slash at California Haunts if you're, if, 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 you're, if you're not on Facebook. Okay. Anyway, uh, if, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And we're just trying to get the word out. Keep pumping, pumping, pumping. You guys are doing great. Like I said, the numbers are blowing through the roof now, and I'm really excited about that. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and give you her contact information and the two books that she has listed on her website. And then I'm going to call it a day, and I will see you guys tomorrow at our usual time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. So here we go. Let me do this. Hopefully this is the right one because they move around on me all the time. Let's see. Okay. Website. Pam. PamelaNance.com. And one book is Signs. And the other book is Ascension. And of course, they are available at Amazon and on her website. We'll give her a quick put on the website. Okay, guys, I will see you tomorrow. Have a great night. Bye.